0: Statistically speaking, um, Mother's Day is uh, usually the second or third uh, most attended service in a church calendar. Uh, also, statistically speaking, Father's Day is one of, if not the least attended service uh, in, the, in the church calendar. And, and the reason for it is that on Mother's Day... Uh, we tend to to celebrate and, and encourage moms and to be totally honest with you uh on father's day we we tend to to beat guys up we we do and, and so a lot of a lot of guys tend to to feel like um they, they don't need it you know that they get they get enough of it in, in culture when when you watch television um you know in, in any sort of television show that you watch usually even the dog is smarter than the dad right the dog knows what's going on before the dad knows what's going on. And, and we have just uh, allowed this attitude to creep into our culture where, where men are idiots and, and men are not leaders and uh, men men fail. And I want to be very, very clear as, I, as I'm kind of setting up what I'm about to do. Uh, I think when, when we talk about spiritual warfare like we did last week, we're going to talk about a little more this week. Uh, I, I honestly think that attitude is is a tool of the enemy Uh, to portray men as morons to portray men as less than and to to make fun of them and act like they're bumbling idiots that even the dog is smarter than they are i I think it's a tool of the enemy and and let me give you just one statistic that i recently heard that um, when a, a a head of a household when when a male comes to faith some, something like 90% of the time, the rest of the family will come to faith after him. That far exceeds the, t- the statistic for the mom, and it far, even further exceeds the statistic for one of the children in the family. When the husband, when the father becomes a Christian, some 90% of the time, the rest of the family w- will follow. And, and here's why, why that is. Men, you have a great deal of influence in your family. A great deal of influence. And, and I never want you to come into this place and feel like we think you're, you're, you're bumbling idiots or, or anything like that. We don't believe that at all. We want to celebrate you. We, we believe in you. The influence that you have in your family is matched to, to none other in your family. Um, and, and I say that based on the word of God, but I also just say that based on science the, and, and statistics, that the influence you have over your children, the influence you have over your family is matched by none. And so we, we just want to encourage you to be good influencers. Um, we're, we're not preaching a Father's Day message today, but I, I wanted to acknowledge fathers before we get into the message too far that, that we, we love you. We want to honor you. We believe in what you're doing as fathers. And if you're, you're a dad, I don't care if your children are home or, or if they're out. If you are a dad, I just want you to go ahead and stand for a minute. All right. So I know you all hate this, but all right. So if you're dead, all right, um, we, we want to we wanna take a minute and we just want to honor you, first of all. We, and now, if you'll, if you'll stay standing, stay standing, I want to pray a prayer blessing over you. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for these men, and uh, I thank you for the influence that they have on their families the influence they have on their children, uh, the influence they have on their spouses, the influence they have in this church. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to be good influencers, uh, that that we would manage that responsibility well, and that we would be the husbands and dads uh, that you created us to be. I pray, pray a prayer of blessing on these guys. Uh, that that your Holy Spirit of wisdom and power would be very rich and real in their lives. We thank you for Jesus who gives us the power to do it. It's in his name we pray, amen. It's over, you can be seated. (laughs) (laughs) I know you guys hate that stuff, I I hate it too. Um, And uh, I've told you this story before, but I wanna tell you it it again because I think it, uh, it bears onto the subject we're gonna talk about today. But when I was in elementary school, Uh, My sister was just getting ready to go into middle school. I was in elementary. My parents took in a troubled teenager into our home. Uh, She was living with her grandparents at the time. They were fighting all the time. They were not getting along. And uh, my dad, with kind of a chip on his shoulder, said, send her over to my house. You know, uh, she was in high school. Send her on over. Uh, We'll we'll get her straightened around, right? And uh, she came in, and it, it did not go well. Uh, it, it was very, very traumatic for our family my sister 's grades began to suffer uh, as the result of just the the chaos and conflict that entered into our home and, and, and the The pinnacle of it not going well happened one afternoon after school when my friends and I were watching watching some television television at home. And this teenage girl that had moved into our home walked in and and she demanded control of the TV and a fight between her and me and my friends started to escalate a little bit. And and my mom stepped in. My dad was uh, sleeping. He was working midnights at the time. I guess this was in the afternoon and uh, my mom stepped in and told her to dial it back, that it was going to be okay. And and this girl that was living with us in that moment, she just snapped. And uh, she backed my mother into the, the, the corner of our house and uh, she put her hands on her and began to strangle her. And uh, I, I didn't know what to do, I was in elementary school, so I, I did the only thing that I knew to do, which was go get dad. Um, and so I ran into the bedroom, I, I woke my dad up, I, I told him what was happening. By the time he got out, things had de escalated to a great degree, but he turned. my dad turned to my mother and said, what happened? And uh, she explained to him exactly what happened, and I'll never ever forget this moment. My dad turned to my mom and said, uh, uh, Lucy takes Steve for a walk. And she took me out of the house, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I have no idea what happened. Uh, my family has never talked about that moment ever again. Uh, I know when we came home, this girl's attitude was different. And uh, <laughs> if I were gonna use uh, the, the language of the text that we're gonna study today, if I were just making a guess, knowing my dad a little bit, I'm gonna guess that he poured out a bowl of his wrath, right? <laughs> on what had happened to to his wife. Now, I understand there's a lot of elements of that story that we we don't know, and only my dad knows, and I still, at 38, have never asked him to fill in the gaps. But nobody that, that hears that story would say that my dad was unreasonable, unkind, or unjust for wanting to handle the situation. I'm guessing everybody would say, yeah, his wife that he loves more than anything is backed into a corner, she's being strangled. This situation needs to be addressed. This situation needs to be taken care of. And I learned about this idea of the protective nature of a dad and the protective nature in particular of our Heavenly Father. I learned that lesson from my dad. I remember uh, in college, a a friend of mine uh, was on the phone with his mother and they had gotten into this huge fight. Uh, I couldn't hear her end of it. My friend was yelling at his mom and it was going back and forth. And finally, as the conversation escalated to a very, very high degree, my friend called his mother something that would cause him to be fired from this ministry if I told you what he said. All right? This would be my last Sunday preaching to you uh, if I spoke from the stage what he had just called his mother. And I remember hearing my end of the conversation and thinking, if I had ever called my mother what he just called his mother, they'd still be searching for the body. Uh, because my dad was a protector. My dad took that role very, very, Responsibly, he had this pr- protective desire as a part of his character, and I think we all tend to respect somebody that has that bent, that sees an evil thing happening, that sees a wrong thing happening, and just wants to protect the people they love the most. Now I set all that up to say this: today we are going to see our heavenly Father in a very, very protective role. We've seen, as our story has unfolded in the Book of Revelation, that that Satan or the Dragon, as he's called in the Book of Revelation, has declared war on the people of God. And in his declaring war on the people of God, he has set up this kind of corrupt earthly system to discourage and distract and dissuade people from following after Jesus Christ. Remember the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth, that they are helping Satan declare war. And, and as part of that war, uh, what we learned last week is that they have established some earthly government. Revelation refers to it as a city. Some people thought it was a nation, but some sort of corrupt government, probably a city that is the epicenter of all the negative stuff, discouraging, dissuading, and distracting that that Satan's trying to accomplish in the world, that this city called Babylon in the book of Revelation is is the epicenter of it. And what we learn about this city is that the leaders of the city are blaspheming blaspheming the name of God, they are slandering the name of God, and they are persecuting the people of God. In a word, this city is pure evil. Now, where we're at in the story at this point, God is done with this city. He's ready to be done with with every evil thing they've done. He is ready to fully and completely destroy this city. And that's exactly what he's going to do. This system that is... Uh, destroying the people of God, that is discouraging them, that is dissuading them, uh, he's going to destroy the earthly setup that Satan has. And this is going to make a pathway for for Satan eventually to be thrown into the abyss, but also this is going to create a pathway for the return of Jesus in just one more chapter. So if you're kind of tired of all this stuff, all this uh, stuff that God has been pouring down on earth, next Sunday we're going to see the purpose of it all, that the heavens are going to open up and Jesus is going to, to return, and we've seen God's plan unfolding in exactly that way. We've seen the seven seals broken which has been uh, the the plagues that have allowed for people to come to repentance, and we saw that happen, that when those seals were broken, people did repent, they did come to Jesus. We we saw the seven trumpets sound, and again, we saw these plagues destroy a third of the trees, a third of the waters, a third of the earth, even a third of the people, giving again two-thirds an opportunity to, to repent, and again, we saw that happen, and now we are going to see seven bowls of God's wrath poured out on this city called Babylon. Uh, and this chapter, just so you know, this chapter reads differently. It's not like the seven trumpets. It's not like the seven seals and that a third of the earth is going to be destroyed. No, when God pours out his wrath on the city of Babylon, it is going to be wiped out completely. God is ready to destroy the epicenter that is discouraging, distracting, and dissuading people from following him. Now, Don't give God a hard time on this. We're gonna see in a minute that he is just, but remember, the entire book of Revelation that we've read so far is God inviting and God encouraging and God imploring people to repent. And they have rejected and rejected and rejected, and Jesus' return is coming soon. And finally, the time has come where God is ready to pour out his wrath on this city called Babylon, this epicenter of evil, if you will. And listen, when when, when you read this passage, it's almost gonna appear as God destroys this whole city, it almost appears that the time for repentance is over, don't, don't misread the passage. It's not that the time for repentance is over. It's that God knows these are not repentant people. As a matter of fact, in chapter 16, verses 9, 11, and 21, God will pour out his wrath on people. And at the end of him pouring out his wrath on these people, they curse God again and again and again. The people of this city called Babylon curse God. They shake their fist at him. Listen. These are truly evil people in this city at this time. These are truly depraved people and God is going to destroy the work of their hands. Why? They will not repent. And God is a protective father, and he wants to take his children into a sinless and perfect eternity. So evil and sin and Satan has to be destroyed. And step one is him destroying this city called Babylon. This is step one. We're gonna see Satan get thrown into the abyss in another chapter or so. But this is step one is we're gonna dismantle the evil empire that Satan has used. I almost feel Star Warsy calling it that, but you know, it's the best way I could come up to describe it. This evil city that is Blaspheming the name of God, discouraging the people of God, persecuting the people of God, killing the people of God. God's done. God's done. And He's going to pour out his wrath on them. And, and a question kind of emerges out of this, that, listen, if you say that sin and, and Satan and death, all that, that's got to be destroyed, Steve, I'm a sinner. Am I going to be destroyed? And I just want to take a minute to give you the gospel for a second. Because the gospel teaches that though you are a sinner, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus on the cross took God's wrath for you. So that you could live eternally with your heavenly father. And here is both the good news and the news that should break your heart. This city of Babylon, God is about to pour out his wrath on them. If they had just turned to Jesus, they still could have been forgiven. They still could have received eternal life. They, they still could have avoided the judgment that was coming their way. But again and again and again, they have been invited, they have been implored, they have been begged again and again and again. Even in the story we are about to read, when God's judgment comes on them, they curse Him, they shake their fist at Him, they turn their back on them. Do not feel bad for these people in that way. All right? Now, if you want to feel bad that they went to an eternity without Jesus, I feel bad about that too. But make no mistake about it, this was their choice. This was their choice. God gave them every opportunity to repent, and God gives you every opportunity to repent as well. And the minute we turn to Jesus Christ for for our salvation, Jesus absorbs God's wrath for us so that we can live forever with him. It is the good news. So I wanna show you how this city in the end times is going to be destroyed. And uh, there, there's seven bowls of God's wrath and the way they're organized is uh, there's three of them and then a break, three of them and then a break and then the last one. So we're gonna look at them in threes. We're gonna start in chapter 16, verse two. The first angel went and poured out his blood on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Remember, when, when some of the other stuff, I'll get back to the text in a minute, but when, when some of the other stuff that we've studied happens, it almost like, it's almost like it happens on the whole earth. This reads in a different way, because this is just for this city called Babylon. This is just for those that, that are being used in this corrupt and evil way. So verse 2, you see, it's people with the mark of the beast that worshipped his image. Verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned to blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and, uh, uh, the, the, and on the waters, and they became blood. And then in verse five, we get our first break. So you see God pouring out his wrath on the city. And then we get a break. And one of the angels that has poured out God's wrath for him says, God, they're worshiping God. God, you are just in your judgments. God, you are just God, you are a good God, you are just in your judgments. And you may find yourself, if you, as you read through the book of Revelation, wondering why is God doing what he's doing? Why is he taking the actions that he's taking? Why is he doing this? And this angel gives us the answer. This angel says, the reason God is doing what he's doing is he's just And one of the best ways we see his just judgment is in this imagery of the rivers and lakes being turned into blood. And what we're told in verse 6 is that those who are receiving the judgment of God, they have shed the blood of the saints, and so God has given them blood to drink as they deserve. That's one of the best examples of the justice of God. He's judging them, but he's judging them in a just way. Way And I'm just going to be honest with you. When we read about the judgment of God, it bothers us. Let me tell you why it bothers us. It bothers us because we don't understand his holiness. I really don't think we often understand it. That God is so holy and so righteous and sin has to be judged. Sin has to receive God's wrath. And you and I have a very important decision to make. We can receive that in the next life or we can allow Jesus to receive on the cross. The Bible calls this our substitutionary atonement, that Jesus takes our place so that we don't have to receive the judgment of God. But make, make no mistake about it, this is a choice we all have to make. Am I going to receive, you know, the, the famous Ted Turner quote, no one's going to take my place, I'll take God's judgment on myself. Uh, you can certainly do what Ted Turner did. Uh, after you get done reading the book of Revelation, I wouldn't recommend it. But you you can certainly take it on yourself or you can turn to Jesus Christ who offers to take your place. So we don't understand his holiness. We also don't understand his love. His justice flows from his love. That those saints were loved by God. Those those pastors and preachers and people of God were were loved by him, and it's not that uh, those that are persecuting them aren't loved by God. They are, but they refuse to repent. They are truly evil people, and the time for their judgment has come. Verse 8. The angel poured out uh, his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God. You see that? They cursed the name of God. Again and again and again we see that. Who had control over these plagues. They refused to repent and glorify him. All they had to do was repent. All they had to do was repent. They refused. Uh, verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and, and cursed God in heaven. Because of their pains and their sores, they refused to repent of what they had done. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its uh, water dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the earth, uh, of the east. And when I saw the evil spirits, they looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They were spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. They go out to the kings of the whole world and together... Uh, Together for them, uh, uh, they they go to battle on the great day of of God Almighty. Uh, God continues uh, to pour out his wrath. And when the sixth angel pours out his wrath, it says he's clearing a path for for the kings of the east. Now, if you were living in the the first century at the time this was written, you would have thought or been led to understand this is talking about the Parthians. Uh, The Parthians were a powerful army. They lived across the river, across the uh, Euphrates River uh, from Rome. And Rome, who was the major world powerhouse at the time, they lived in constant fear uh, that the Parthians were going to cross the Euphrates River and totally destroy them. So God uses this imagery. He uses this fear to say, in the last day, all right, because Rome's not much of a powerhouse today, but they were then, in those last days, I am going to raise up an army that is stronger than Rome, that is stronger than the strongest army in the world. And it goes on to describe, as you read the passage, that he, God gathers his army, Satan gathers his army, and they're going to meet on this battlefield called Armageddon. And I can tell you this, a little spoiler alert, God wins, All right, God wins. Remember on the playground, my dad's stronger than your dad, my dad's stronger than your dad, right? That, that sort of thing is, is what uh, uh, John is writing here, that, that God is stronger. God is bigger. God has more strength than, than Satan has. So we know that God is going to be victorious because he's stronger, he's able, and he will win. So listen, quick little lesson here. I don't know what you're facing today. I, I don't know what overwhelming odds are against you, but understand this, God will be the victor God will win the day. God will reign supreme. You stay faithful to him because he is bigger than anything that you're going to face. And and at the end of the day, he will win. So I love verse 15 so much because in the middle of all this, we get another break. And in the middle of all this, we get the words of Jesus. And uh, I I love these words so much because so far we haven't had a ton of the words of Jesus. But here we, we we get a few again. It says, behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Uh, I remember Cheryl and I uh, probably a year, year and a half ago now, uh, we're, we're at a restaurant and uh, had our then um, you know, one and a half, two-year-old or whatever with us. And uh, Sam, not to be overly graphic, Sam had, uh, uh, he blew out his diaper. Right? That's the best way to say it. In the middle of this restaurant, it just was, you know, up the back and, and that whole thing. And so Cheryl said, I'm just going to take him into the, the bathroom and, and get him changed. And, you know, one of those things that requires about half a brick of wipes, you know, as you're trying to clean it all up. And uh, she, she comes back, and Sam's just in a diaper now. He's all cleaned up. He's just in a diaper. I said, you know, what, what happened? And she said, I went to reach into the bag, and he'd had a blowout last week. I forgot to replace his spare outfit. So he's got no spare outfit. Now, when we had children, we vowed we would never be those people that were just taking naked baby in public. (laughs) So we're we're just not going to be those people that are walking around with our baby just in a diaper, you know? And here we were in the middle of Cheddar's naked baby, right? And uh, he's sitting there, you know, we'll go ahead and take our check and and get out of here because I was like, you know, rednecks sitting, you know, across the way or whatever, right? Got their baby in a diaper, This is the imagery Jesus uses a little bit, all right? Let me make an application here. He says, as the end days progress, you wanna keep your clothes on so that you will not be shamefully exposed. And the image here is the imagery of being clothed in Christ. That the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we walk in him through, uh, through faith and by grace, we are, we are clothed in Jesus Christ. So that when we stand before the judgment seat of God, if we have expressed faith in Jesus Christ and are walking in him, when we stand before God, God does not see my lies. God does not see my sin. God does not see my screw-ups. Because I am clothed in Christ, all he sees is Jesus Now, if you are a sinner like me, this should be very good news to you, that there is an opportunity by faith and through grace that when you stand before the judgment seat of God, the worst thing you've ever done, God is not going to see it. God is not going to see it because you are clothed in Christ. So when he sees you, he is going to see the righteousness of Christ. When he sees you, he's going to see the goodness of Christ. When, when, when he sees you, he's going to see the purity of Christ. That when God sees you, if you are clothed in Christ by expressing your faith in him, when he sees you, when God sees you, all he will see is the perfection of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther uh, called this the great exchange. That when I put my faith in Jesus, here's the great exchange. I get to give Jesus all of my sin, and he pays for it on the cross. And Jesus gives me all of his righteousness, That is a great exchange. You give Jesus all of your sin, all of your screw-ups, all of your mess-ups. That thing that you are most ashamed of, that you haven't told anybody about, but you know it in your heart and your mind. You give it to Jesus. He pays for it on the cross, and Jesus, in exchange, gives you His righteousness and His goodness. And so, this is again, it is it is another invitation for people to express faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you make sure on those last days that you are clothed in Christ so so that God's wrath escapes you. You you make sure you are clothed in Christ. See, God is an inviting God. He is a gracious God. He he understands that he is a God that must judge because of his holiness, but he gives his people an opportunity to escape it. So he's inviting you to come to him. He's inviting you to be clothed in him. He's inviting you to express faith in him. He's inviting you to be saved. All right, verse 17. The seventh angel, this is the last one, poured out his blood into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Now, I'm not saying this to freak you out, but it's very, very important to me pastorally that you understand this there will come a day when it is done. And certainly what I mean by that is there will come a day when God is done with sin, he is done with Satan, he is done with Babylon, he's done with the whole thing, and he is gonna pour out his wrath on that city. Certainly I mean that, that there is a day when God is just gonna say, it is done, but there is also going to come a day when the opportunity for repentance is done. There's going to come a day when being clothed in Christ, your opportunity to be clothed in Christ, when it is done. The Bible calls this the final judgment seat of God, that there is going to come a day when it is done. It is appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. So there will come a day when it is done. This is why with all of the energy and passion that I have, I am imploring you this morning to express your faith in Jesus Christ, put your faith in Jesus Christ, be baptized in his name, be clothed in him so that you are saved. That's why it is so important to me that you hear this message on this Father's Day when I could have just given you a Father's Day message and I thought about it, but, but this is more important. This is more important, that there is a day that is coming when it will be done. And in this moment, God does pour out his wrath on the city. And look at verse 18. He he rains down an earthquake that that is so violent that the, the evil city of Babylon, the evil empire, if you will, is split into three parts. And God just continues to pour out his wrath on this city and eventually the city falls. So, that's what's gonna happen. God just takes these bowls and he pours out his wrath on this city that has discouraged and dissuaded and persecuted and killed and done all these terrible things. God pours out his wrath on them and eventually the city of Babylon falls. And in chapter 17, God often will do this. He tells us what's going to happen and then he he gives us kind of an image of what's going to happen. In chapter 17, we see this image of a woman. And she is sitting on a scarlet beast and the woman is dressed as a prostitute. And in her hand, she is holding a cup that is symbolic of the filth of her adulteries, according to verse four. She is drunk on the blood of the saints, and she is riding on this beast because they are working together, the Bible says, to bring destruction on God's people. The the text goes on to tell us that the woman is the great city of Babylon. So the woman symbolizes the the, the city of Babylon. Uh, John's audience would have thought this was Rome. Um, And she is riding the beast because they are working as counterparts. The city is working with the beast to bring destruction upon God's people. And, And these are those two parts of the unholy trinity that we talked about last week. Remember, the unholy trinity is the dragon who is Satan, the beast of the sea, which in this text is described just as the beast right? The the leader of the whole kind of evil thing. And then the beast of the earth, which is the city that Satan works through, is described as the prostitute in this text. But you, again, see all three of these working together to bring destruction on God's people. Now, there's a couple of interesting things that happen as a result of the story. Verse 16 says that the beast will grow to hate the prostitute. Now, they're working together to bring destruction. It says the beast will grow to hate the prostitute, and the beast will actually end up working to bring the prostitute to destruction. And it says in verse 17 why this happens. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. That God causes there to be this divide within this unholy trinity, unlike the holy trinity, by the way, that is perfectly unified. God causes there to be this division so that his purposes can be be achieved and what we see is that God is beginning to clear a path first by the destruction of the city God is clearing a path to allow for and to cause the coming of Jesus in just one chapter so here's what I want you to see what Satan intends for evil God can use for good and if that is not good news I do not know what good news is Because for some of you living in this day and age, you view that what happened to you was evil, wrong, corrupt, and everything else. And this story reminds us, Satan may think he's in charge, but never underestimate the power of God to take something that he intended for your harm, that he intended as evil, that that God can turn that around and use it for something good. And this is exactly what God does. He works the prostitute against the beast to, to begin to destroy each other. He allows the beast to stay into power. God pours out the bowls of his wrath, and eventually the city that has done so much evil and has been so corrupt, this city is destroyed. Now, I've been preaching to you this whole series, and I want to do this one one more time. Well, pray not, pray a couple more times, but um, to remind you that the book of Revelation was not given to us for prediction. Uh, the the, the revelation the revelation that John writes is given to us for introspection. So in other words, this book was not given to us so that we could figure out who the beast is, who the prostitute is. We, we don't know that unless it's just being formed now, which I don't believe it is. We, we have no idea who these people are. We couldn't possibly know. So it's not given to us for prediction. It's given to us for introspection. And so I want to show you two reactions to the city falling, all right? This evil city, it falls, it's destroyed. The Bible says the smoke is rising up to heaven. The the city has been laid bare. I want to show you two reactions to this news um, that, that I think are very, very powerful. And then let's introspect a little bit. Verse 13. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Now, remember. The the whole earth has not been destroyed, just the city of Babylon. So there are people that are watching this happen around the world. And it says, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Isn't that bizarre to think about? That there will be people who will weep and mourn over the destruction of the city of Satan in the last days. You know why? This is the city where they got rich, this is the city where they engaged in trade. This is the city that caused their portfolio to go through the roof. This is the city that, that they got rich on. And to see it destroyed means that their wealth is going to be destroyed. And we can't hardly take that. Now, whenever we talk about money, we always talk about how the number one thing in competition with God for your heart is money. And that's what we've seen in the last days. That there is a group of people that so wanted to make their money They so wanted to engage in their trade. They so wanted to make make a dollar that they ended up working with this evil city. And once it had been destroyed, they are absolutely heartbroken. They are absolutely distraught. They are absolutely upset that the city that made them so rich has now been destroyed. Let me show you another reaction real quick and then we'll talk a little bit more. Verse 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea And said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of the harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeteers will never be heard of again. No workman or trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard of you, heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard of in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell of the, the nations were led astray. And in her was the blood of the prophets and of the saints. And by all who had been killed on the earth. So let me show you what is said about this city uh, by, by this angel. That in this city there were great opportunities for entertainment. That in this city there were great opportunities for work. That in this city there were great opportunities for economics. In this city there were great opportunities for lots of stuff, but the intent of the leaders and the actions of their hands were wrong and sinful and corrupt. And so let's understand what's happening here. This city offered great music, but we're killing the people of God. The city offered incredible wedding venues, but we're leading people astray. The city offered incredible work opportunities, but we're counter God's purpose and leading people astray. And because of the destruction of the city that was doing all this, the angel's tone almost sounds celebrative. It's not celebrating that people have died and are going to eternity without Jesus Christ. It's celebrating that no longer can this city accomplish the evil thing it was trying to accomplish. So there's a celebrative tone to this city being destroyed. So you've got a celebrative tone, and you've got a mournful tone, not because people are dying and going to an eternity without Jesus, a mourning tone because, man, that's where I made my dollar. That's where I got rich. That's where my portfolio went through the roof. They have lost the money and so they are mourning over the loss of this city. Now, I know we're not here today, and I know that this hasn't happened yet, but I got to tell you something. I have been thinking about this text day and night, and here's some of the questions I've been thinking through. I've been thinking through, is where I spend my entertainment dollars, is where I spend my entertainment dollars, is it, do I spend those entertainment dollars in a godly place or an evil place. That's what I've been thinking about. I've been thinking about, are the organizations that I tend to spend my money with? Are they godly or are they more evil? Are the businesses I do business with, are they godly or are they evil? And and this matters in a couple of ways. One is that I want to support the plans and purposes of God in in this world. I just do. But here's here's the real reason I've been thinking about it. Is I've been getting introspective, and I don't want in the last days for me to be able to, un, to, to, to be unable to celebrate the victories of God, unable to praise the work of His hands, because the thing He destroyed is where I found my entertainment. The thing He destroyed is where I did my business. The thing He destroyed is where I spent my dollars, and now I am unable to celebrate the work of His hands, the work of His hands, because I've developed a relationship. Financially, with someone I shouldn't develop a relationship with. This is why again and again and again, the book of Revelation encourages us to walk in wisdom. Because you might be a really good person, supporting a really bad organization, and when God's judgment falls to that organization, that puts you in a weird spot. It puts you in a weird spot. How am I going to praise God? The, the work of his hands, how am I going to praise his strength, how am I going to praise what he's done in this morning when, when the, the destruction of this entity, the destruction of this entity means that I can no longer go there for entertainment or I can no longer spend my dollars there or I can no longer invest there. We have to become more thoughtful and wise about what we love and where we spend and what we value so that our hearts are not becoming attracted to and loving what is wrong. Because this may not be, I understand this hasn't happened yet, believe me, I understand this hasn't happened yet, but these battles are still there. Entertainment dollars, uh, investing dollars, uh, work dollars is what I'm investing. Is it of God or, or, or is it going to some other purpose? Because someday this is going to be some church's reality. And we're getting introspective. We can't predict, but we can be introspective about what type of person am I? Am I the type of person that I am walking in such character that I am able to celebrate what God is doing versus mourning what he's doing because I've lost something that I, that I held as value. And so I've gotten very introspective about where we're being entertained, what we're spending on, how we're investing, and just thinking through, are these the things of God? Is this where God wants us to spend our dollars? Because I what this text describes I would never want to be in that sort of a gist where I love God and I'm called to his purposes and he's cast down his judgment on something, but I can't celebrate it. Or it's hard for me to celebrate it because I invested with that company or I traded in that nation or, or what they did was important. And so it's a weird spot for a Christian to be in, which is why the book of Revelation says, be wise, be wise, be wise. So here's what we've seen the last four weeks. And this is the last of these judgment messages in this way i don't think it's going to be as awkward when we just see satan get his right we'll see that in another couple of weeks but i think i'm gonna be like oh, i feel weird about that and we're gonna be like good riddance all right um so seven seals broken seven trumpets sounded seven bowls of wrath poured out seven 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 god is accomplishing his will as a good protective father. He has come to rescue and redeem his people. And these are the steps that he has taken in the last days. And step one really was getting that earthly system just torn down and destroyed. Um, Step two uh, is going to be the return of Jesus. Step three is going to be casting Satan into hell. Uh, And these these are the next couple messages. But for now, I want you to see that God's judgments are good And God is accomplishing very real uh, and very noble things. Will you stand with me?